Today's episode is brought to you by the Early Career Awards, supported by Arts Council England. The Early Career Awards are a new form of literary prize run by the National Centre for Writing, accompanied by resources, professional development and industry advice for new writers. You're listening to episode 75 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing. Every week we tell stories about writers and discuss writing techniques. It's January the 15th, 2020 here at the studio in Dragon Hall as we're recording this week's episode. I'm Steph, the Communications Manager here at NCW. And I'm Simon, Digital Marketing Manager. Today we have a really great interview with Julia Crouch, the queen of domestic noir and writer of books such as Her Husband's Lover and Every Vow You Break. She's also the creator of our crime fiction course that we teach online. In fact, our online courses are still available and there's a couple of weeks left to join them. Julia's not teaching this term, but we are very lucky to have Nicola Upson teaching this time around. This interview forms a part of our first pack of free writing resources made possible by the Early Career Awards. And this pack is called Beginnings. Yeah, it's the first of many. We're going to be putting out these packs every couple of months for the foreseeable future. Over time, these packs will combine to form a collection of resources for writers that takes you through the entire journey from beginnings, as we're doing this month, all the way through to constructing your novel and then trying to get it out into the world. You can find these resources over at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk forward slash early career awards. I talked to Julia back during the Noirage Crime Writing Festival. And what's really nice about this interview with Julia is that it kind of chronicles her career and the slightly strange ways that she ended up becoming a writer and how she explored various different forms and different careers. And it wasn't a kind of straightforward route into being published. And I think for anyone who is beginning and whether that means you're starting to write your first novel or you finished it and you're trying to think about how to get it published it's it's an inspiring and useful tale to show that it's not always simple but if you keep going you will get somewhere all right julia thank you for joining us it's a pleasure to be here thank you Simon. excellent back back at noirage yes again yes yes, yes it's one of my favorite festivals it's such a great it's such a great space mm. and it's such a great city and you get the, kind of the best of everything here. It's fantastic. And great authors you've got this year as well. You always get really passionate audiences as yes. well. I think when you have a festival that t- drills down into a particular genre, you know that the people coming are going to really be They're going to really love it. Yeah, of course, we work with you in all sorts of ways because you're also one of our creative writers yes. online tutors yep. and created the crime fiction yep. course which yep. is very popular in fact we've met some of the students yes, some today of, some of my students have been coming come to the festival and um, and and two of them have come up and said hello which is really really lovely yes. i love that it makes me feel kind of that yeah it just makes me feel needed and wanted <laughs> yeah. i think when it's an online course it's nice yeah it's really nice to meet people be in reminded real they're real people yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah actually yeah. exist so yeah i thought it'd be great to talk about today is your journey to being a writer and of course you've had several books published now so you you have been a writer for a long while yes but I think the interesting thing about your particular journey into that is that it took a while and you went about it through various different routes before you kind of settled yeah I think what you're saying in a very coded and polite way (laughs) is that you're quite old for (laughs) you started quite old which is true I started in my mid forties, so so yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a um, it's quite 
quite a, a way down the line to start, although I'm the, by no means the oldest debut novelist. In fact, there's, there seem to be more and more older women, particularly, who are, who are, who are writing their first novels and getting them published. Um, I think for me, it was... Um, I'd never really thought of myself as a writer. It really came as a bit of a surprise. Um, I started out in theatre, and I was a, I was, I did write plays, but I was a playwright, which is a very different thing. It's um, a particular type of playwriting I did, which was I was primarily a theatre director, but I devised plays with actors. So rather than do a sit down and write, where you kind of take yourself away and just listen to your own voice, you sit in a rehearsal room with actors and you give them situations setups and then you just set them going and they improvise and then you kind of work with that so that's your that's your kind of your your um your rough first draft if you like is what the actors are actually doing so so it's a very different process and then I did a couple of sit down and writes and then when I was 30 I had two two very young children and um and I realized that I couldn't carry on doing following that career at that time it was it's still hard but at that time it was particularly hard for women uh, and particularly hard for women with children and spectacularly hard for women with children whose partners were actors because an actor partner means that they're either at home earning nothing or they go away <laughs> to earn a pittance in theatre and so somebody needed to be have something that would keep them at home for the children and that would earn money so I retrained after after a period as a as a double entry bookkeeper um, and various other small careers, um, I then retrained as a graphic designer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was kept kept us going through uh, through fifteen years more or less, and and um, and had another child, so three young children, um, and. Towards the end of that, my youngest child started school and I did a master's in uh, sequential illustration because I was thought at that point I was pictures, not words. And mm-hmm. what I found was that, in fact, the words came so much more easily to me than all of my visually more literate peers on that course. So I wrote and illustrated two children's books and I really, really enjoyed the writing part. So it's a kind of long way around. As a graphic designer, in a way, you're telling stories because you're telling stories with with the look of a page, uh, with you know the, the way you kind of um, ju- you juxtapose text and image. I mean, you're, you're still kind of creating narratives, but, but telling stories through words, I realised that suddenly I was home. Mm-hmm. And so I did a couple of open university online writing courses because these, the National Centre for Writing Courses, weren't available. Had they been available, I'd have probably gone okay. for them. Yes. Um, but I went, I went to open university and, and um, did int- an introduction to creative writing in 12 weeks. And then I thought, oh, I'm really enjoying this. And I did a, a one-year part-time course online again, which is part of a degree. I, don't, I think it's still there. It's a third of a, a liberal arts degree or something. Um, and that was the creative writing part. And and then my tutor there was... Uh, uh, he's, a, he's a poet called John Donoghue, a poet and memoirist, and John O'Donoghue. And um, he said, uh, you should really do some more of this, which, you know, is just like heaven to hear <laughs> from somebody who is your tutor. So so he suggested I did NaNoWriMo. And I'd written some short stories and I'd kind of been kind of, you know, developing that side of fiction. And I, but I really thought, what about if I wrote a novel? Do you think I could write a novel to myself? Um, 
And I didn't want to spend a whole year finding out that I couldn't write a novel. So <laughs> yeah. he said, John O'Donoghue said, try NaNoWriMo, it's really great. NaNoWriMo, for those of you that don't know, is um, it's it's primarily the month of November, though now it has branched out. But when I did it, it was the month of November. You In, in that month, you write a whole novel, which is 50,000 words um, and... You then that's about the length of Catcher in the Rye, um, although it won't be the quality of Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> um, and 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 so so you write seventeen hundred words a day, seven days a week for the whole month of November, and that makes up amazingly that makes up fifty thousand words. And at that time, when I when I did my two, I've written two what you call nanovels, which is rather horrible, but it's kind of <laughs> cute as well. Um, uh, the, when I was writing my second one, I was I had I was working full time as a graphic designer. I had three school aged children, one who was still at primary school, and I also had a ninety nine year old friend who was in a nursing home who I visited every day. So I always say to people who say, "Oh, I'd love to write, but I haven't got the time." I say, "Well, this is what I was doing, and I found the time because mm-hmm. I just felt driven." And and I think what, what there's there's always this kind of idea that you have to wait till the moment's perfect before you can sit down and write a novel. And um, and actually, what you've just got to do is write. Yeah. And even if you only write a couple of hundred words a day, by the end of the year, you'll have what uh, you'll have more than a novel, more than any publisher would. <laughs> yes, publish. Yeah. I can't do the maths, but uh, it would be it. Be, yeah, it would be a significant uh, significant amount of wordage. Um, so. Um, I think NaNoWriMo is great because it up front has a kind of end point. Yes. And I think that fear of beginning a novel, yes. which seems like this totally impossible yeah. thing, monolithic thing in front of you, whereas NaNoWriMo, it's like, well, it's just one month. Yeah. Give it a go. Yeah. Get to the end, see what happens. Yeah. And it kind of removes a lot of the the fear and yes. the anxieties that yes. writers have, both, you know, both new writers and established writers. Yes. Yeah. And it kind of almost lets you off the hook a little mm-hmm. bit yeah. so you don't have to worry about it being your perfect. best work and waiting I, for that Yes, because that's moment. one of the things that really kind of stymies beginning writers and that is the, the fact that you, you, you can't get it perfect and so you keep going back over that first sentence, paragraph, mm. chapter, ten, first 10,000 words if you get that far and you keep going back and reworking it and, 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 and it really, I, I, I was... I was there with, I'd started three novels by the time I did my first NaNoWriMo mm-hmm. and each one had only got to chapter three and I'd given up because I just didn't know where I was going. And you get to a point where you are a bit stuck um, and, and you feel that the problem is what you've already written. And in fact, the problem is that you're, you're in a way, you're scared to open the door to the next, the next chapter mm-hmm. because that's, you know, it starts, it starts being a commitment. It's starting getting that ball rolling. So NaNoWriMo, um, there's a wonderful book called No Plot, No Problem by the uh, the creator of NaNoWriMo, Chris Beatty, who actually coincidentally came, I, I I got to know because I was in San Francisco and I went to visit their, their base there as a kind of a point of pilgrimage and I was given loads <laughs> of merchandise and posters. And then Chris came over to... To, to the UK and um, he came to stay with us in Brighton and he did a talk in Brighton and Elizabeth Haynes and I kind of organised it so it was really lovely to get to know him and he's moved on now but but he started it because he was in that same bind of being stuck mm-hmm. um, 
of, of kind of starting and never going any further. So and so he, he set himself this challenge and then first year it was just him and then second year it's him and 10 of his friends and so it snowballed and now over half a million people around the world do it. Yes, yeah. And it's that kind of, it, it's so far away from the, the solitary writer in their room on their own getting stressed yes. about the world. Yes. You know, it's this massive community Yes, you're endeavor. a community of writers. Mm. So, so uh, b- before I go on, the book by Chris Bate is called No Plot, No Problem. I don't think I mentioned the title mm-hmm. of it. Um, and yes, so you're part of a community um, who are all struggling with the same beast, which is a beast of very many different forms, but it's the novel, their own novel. Um, and you can turn to the website for support. You have local write-ins. One year in Brighton, we had an all-night write-in, which was fun, <laughs> fueled only by coffee, I have to say, coffee and sugary snacks. Um, but it, but so you get to meet other people who are kind of who are doing the same mad. Thing as you're trying to do, um, and some people get go really go for it. Some people write because, like me, they're just curious about. I wasn't at that point thinking of publication at all. Mm-hmm. I was just seeing whether I had the you know had the had the the stamina, if you like, to, to get through. Other people write because they they really want to. They can see a publication kind of aim. Other people write just for the sheer love of doing it, and some people aren't content with doing one novel during November. Some people do two, three. One person in my first year did five. You know, it's 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 a little crazy and and um, but but it's 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 a, it's very en- energizing um, that you're you're part of. So 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 it removes that kind of loneliness of the long distance writer, if you like, um, from from the whole process. So at the end. You have this fifty thousand word novel, and and what you might find is that you've you've got chunks missing. You've got you may you may find that as you're moving on, the the the, the, the watchword for NaNoWriMo is quantity, not quality. So that kind of gets you out of the out of the it's got to be perfect thing, and you banish your inner critics. You send them off a holiday for the whole of the month of November, and um, I'm sure inner critics is is very self-explanatory for most people that do anything creative. There are, there are these kind of beings that sit on your shoulders going telling you that you're mad and you can't do that and um and who on earth ever told you that you could and why are you being so entitled you know you cannot write why are you doing this and believe me they stay you know on your fifth sixth seventh novel they are still there and they're still in fact i've found that actually teaching creative writing as i do now they're they're even they're very well informed now my inner critics (laughs) So, so you still have to do daily battle with them, but um, but you end up with this, you end up with this story arc, and probably you come to a completion. You may not have reached the end of your story, but you may well have a clear idea. You may be able to write a note form where you're going. So you've got this mess, and I do know that um, that certain literary agents quake in their boots on the first of December because so many people kind of kind of finish their novel and they go, "This is the best thing I've ever. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic. I'm going to send it straight off." One minute past midnight, off it goes to all these agents, and um, it—that's a really, really bad move. Um, and the best thing to do is to put it away for December and read it through. That's what I've done twice: is read it through on the first of January, mm-hmm. so that you've got a little bit of distance. You're on a nice, quiet day in front of the fire while everyone else is nursing their hangovers, um, and uh, you can you can just kind of look, read it through, and see whether it's got legs. And in the case of Cuckoo, my first novel, which uh, I think I wrote uh, Nana Rimo 2008. I then spent the whole of 2009 
developing it, extending it, turning it into a, from a 50,000 word, very, as Anne Lamott in her amazing book, Bird by Bird, calls shitty first draft, <laughs> um, into a 110,000 word first sort of second draft. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, I call those shitty first drafts now, I call them draft zero because they don't even deserve the name first draft because there's so and it gives me it gives me gives me again it permits me to make mistakes and to make a mess so mm. once I've got it there I can clear it up afterwards so so um so I spent a year doing that and and I at some at one point about April I faltered and I thought why am I doing this it's just it's just it's ridiculous I've got you know, it's just taking up my free time. I'd removed a day from my kind of self-employed graphic designer schedule. Um, so it was costing me money as well because I wasn't earning on those days. And, um, um, and I was just kind of floundering. So I thought about doing a, a master's. And I'd already got a master's in sequential illustration. And I rather liked the idea of having Ma Ma after my name. <laughs> but it would have been very, very expensive because you, you pay full whack if you're doing a second MA. So... That was too expensive. So I, I employed a, a literary life coach called Jackie Lofthouse. And she, she, she still operates as the writing coach. And she is marvellous. And what she didn't do was give me any feedback on the actual work, but just kind of supported me with my process and helped me set objectives and, mm-hmm. and realise what I wanted. And by that point, I was realising that I was actually quite serious about, about this novel. Yes. How did um, you find out about the option of a writing coach? Um, how did I find out? Um, actually, uh, during that period, I was walking up to school. Uh, I was walking my youngest son up to school and walking back with a, f- a woman who we'd, I was working working on um, the school magazine with her, and she was a writer. And her name's Hannah Vincent, and she's 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 a wonderful writer, and she's a teacher as well. Um, and she's been published. She's got two books out: Alarm Girl and The Weaning. And uh, and we were both kind of writing our first novels, and she said, "I said, oh, I don't know what I'm doing." And she said, "Have you do you know? Have you heard about Jackie Lofthouse? She's my angel." She said. So she, so Jackie, then, so that's how I found found out. So 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 that was great. And then by October, I had a polished draft that I felt confident enough to send out to agents, and I had located the agent I wanted. Now my my story my story about going to pub being published is is kind of it's it's a bit of a dream actually and I always I always I always have to kind of when I tell it I have to tell it with a heavy caveat that this is this is not typical <laughs> but in some ways I really helped myself because I'd located the agent that I thought I could really speak to and who's and my work could really speak to him um, and I'd done that by kind of looking through websites and things and 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 back then we're talking 2009 2010 and I was a geeky kind of a website designer as well by then but even so social media and everything weren't quite what they are now because mm-hmm. um, now I, I I recommend to students that they follow agents on Twitter and Instagram so they get to know what the person's like what their what their tastes are what what their take on things are and then they can kind of see whether they would work with them because it's not only about them accepting your work it's about you having a relationship as as agent and, and author client and um, so you have to think about that and how they're going to look after your career and stuff like that and Simon Truin who was at that point at United Agents I thought I want him to be my agent and so I only submitted to him <laughs> and um, and 
a few weeks after my I submitted, you know, and they, they those those times after submission, they're the longest. I mean, whatever stage in your career, you know, whether you're sending a novel to your agent of long, many years to read your 10th novel, or whether you're waiting for your editor to get back, those those moments between set, pressing send and hearing back, kind of the time just stretches and you start going, why am I feeling so scatty? And <laughs> why can't I concentrate on anything? You go, oh, yes, I remember. Um, and so, so after three very, very long weeks, Simon got back and said, I really like this. Can you send me the rest? So another then three very, very long weeks. And then he rang up. And I remember I had a friend round. And my friend Max was sitting at the table and kitchen table and he rang up and he said, I really like your book. Would you like to come on and meet me next week? And then it was straight out, get some champagne. It was fantastic. <laughs> so so then I went with my book and we chatted, found out we got on well, he showed me around the agency, I signed signed up, and then within a week I had a meeting with a publisher, and then as I was walking away, Simon rang and said they've offered you for three books. And it was for enough money for me to give up the day job and can call myself a proper writer. Wow. That was just <laughs> the best. I remember I was standing outside Waterstones in Piccadilly Circus after the meeting, and then I went in and wandered around the bookshop imagining my, 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 my own novels on the, on, the, mm-hmm. on the shelves. It was so... It was just a magical moment. I felt like I was walking on air. So, so and I think the reason, going back to why it took me so long to become a writer, that I've, I've explained what I did, but also I felt I, I, I never, I, I didn't know, I was the first on contracted novelist I knew, apart from Jackie, who had had a novel published. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hadn't really met her in person. It was, only, it was only on telephone that we were doing the coaching. So I hadn't actually, I didn't know anybody in the business at all. I never felt like I could be a writer because I thought other people were writers, cleverer people, people I know who were more glamorous or people who kind of could really, really concentrate hard. And I was only, you know, I was just a flippity gibbet really. But actually, turns out, I am a writer mm-hmm. and I can be a writer and anyone can be a writer if they work hard enough at it. Um, and also do your research. Also, I was really lucky with Cuckoo being published because... because um, at that moment, everyone was all publishers in all of the UK were looking for the next Sophie Hannah, <laughs> the Sophie Hannah who wrote Little Face. You know the, the the earlier books, the psychological thrillers, and my book kind of really fell into that category. As did S. J. Watson's Before I Go to Sleep. So 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 everyone was looking for the, for those kind of books, and so my book hit my editor's desk at exactly the right moment. And so, so it was, there is a, there is a, although you know you work hard, you write the best book you can, you you um you you do your research, you find the perfect agent for yourself. Um, there's that, and then there's luck, mm-hmm. because you can't second guess the market as well. Because you know I first wrote the first draft of Cuckoo in two thousand and eight. It was published in two thousand and eleven. So you know I couldn't. You you, you should. Uh, what you should you should write the, the the book you want to read the best book you possibly can. Don't write for the mar- write to market no, because by the time you get there, yeah, it would have changed. Yeah. At the, so with Cuckoo, at the time being completely new to the world of book publishing, did you know at the time how unusual that kind of amazing jumpstart was? I kind of did because I'd been going to some short story reading nights and I'd been hearing, you know, I'd been talking to other writers who were submitting and I'd kind of, I'd already started looking into, you know, I'd already assumed that I would fail. 
um, and that everyone would see me for the imposter I actually know I am. Um, and uh, so I was already looking into the possibility of self-publishing. Well, if no one believes in this book, I believe in it enough to self-publish. And even if it only sells to my mum and dad, then that's fine. You know, that's that's where I was at mentally. So yes, I did. I did kind of know I was. I was very, very lucky. Very lucky. And um, and yeah, no, it's it was it was an extraordinary story. But however, then you know. It, it's not always smooth, you know. You 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 come out as a sexy debut, and everyone goes wow. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to write your second novel. Which, everyone's you know, paying attention. Yes, now. everyone's paying attention. <laughs> and then and then um, and it all depends on so many factors about you know how how your publishers publish you. There's such things being well published and being badly published. You know whether whether they kind of choose because. You know, there's, it's not just the story and the book and the writing. It's about the cover, the title, the marketing, where they get it, where, where, which shops will take it, um, whether the press like it, whether it's kind of whether it hits the zeitgeist at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all of those things are kind of out of our control. In fact, that's been a, I've been here since Wednesday because I teach at UEA um, and talking to a lot of writers over the over the the, 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 the past few days. Um, and uh, and that seems to be a general theme. Is like everyone's going well. What makes a bestseller? No one knows. Publishers don't know. Agents don't know. Writers don't know. No one knows. Just do your best with everything and see see what sticks. So there's that. And then there's also kind of um, some books. Some books your publisher really loves and will take them on and without with very little editing. So, and I have had one book that was kind of completely. I, I I wrote a book and um, and basically my publisher said this isn't a Julia Crouch book, so we can't publish it as a Julia Crouch book. You've you've been contracted to write, so I had to go away and rewrite it, the whole book as a Julia Crouch book, which I did in three months' time. I'm not going to say which books. I don't want to kind of undermine <laughs> it, but um, but so so you know so I did I, so what what I, what I'm trying to say with that story is that. I did taste rejection, but it just mm. came at a different part of my career. Yes, yeah. And I suppose by that point, you were already very comfortable with thinking of yourself as a writer. Yes. So suddenly you start going, oh, what else can I do? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've forgotten how to do everything else. Yeah. Not another career I've got to do. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's interesting because a lot of a lot of the time from writers and new writers, there's often the... The story that you know they've always wanted to be a writer from when they were a child, and it maybe took them a long time to get there, but they knew that was the thing. Yeah, and it yeah. seems like with you that wasn't necessarily the case, and no. actually you did lots of other yeah. interesting creative things yeah. without necessarily thinking about writing. Yeah, even though now it seems like this obvious fit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, it's strange because yeah, I, I, I mean, I come from a background where you know I was the first in my extended family to go to university mm. so so you know writers were, were a complete other breed even though I was always a massive reader and my family always have this joke about me at family parties completely lost because I had my nose in a book all the time um, so so yeah I mean you know I just know it, it takes a long time to um, to come around to thinking of yourself as a writer um, and I'm I'm quite jealous of people that knew that from their twenties that that's what they wanted to do. So that you know I've I've only I've only actually been a published writer for eight years, mm-hmm. and um, 
and I'm quite old for that, really. So, you know, I feel like I've got to write quite quickly to get all the books out. <laughs> get them all out of your brain now that you know Before they're in Before I there. die of old age. <laughs> and is that part of the, the desire to teach as well, to help other people kind of identify yeah, oh, this yes, stuff earlier? very much so. Um, uh, I mean, in part, you know, uh, yes, absolutely. And also to help people to become the best writers they possibly can and to understand... The things I just didn't know about when I started, you know, about, you know, structure, storytelling, um, uh, character development and, and, and to, to be the sounding board, because that's what I think that's what all writers need is, is somebody, who, somebody they respect, whose opinion they respect, who can, who can actually help them make their writing better. And when you're published and you're, when you're published and you're a happy writer, that's your agent and your editor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, friends are useless. Part, life partners are terrible. It's the literary equivalent of asking, does my bum look big in this? There's no correct answer to that, you know, apart from no. <laughs> or, so the, the novel equivalent is, it was very nice. I really enjoyed it, you know. Uh, and and uh, my husband does read my novels. Um, and poor man, when he's, he's sitting there with the, with, with the manuscript or the Kindle and he's like this, and I'm kind of just looking, looking watching his face like a sure. hawk for every tiny nano reaction. But uh, he's a playwright now, so I also do that for him. So mm-hmm. we kind of have this, we have this, I think we have this um, protocol uh, with kind of not, not, we've never discussed it, but there are lines along which we are allowed to discuss each other's work, feedback on, and then there are lines where we leave it to our professional collaborators to 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 feedback but so 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 a tutor in in teaching is a very useful person like that before you get your agent and your editor on board so uh, that's kind of how i see my role and selfishly there's two other selfish things about teaching apart from the fact that i well the three if you include the fact i love it is that it gets me out of the house even if it's online teaching you know it's, I, I'm connecting with other people mm-hmm. and coming to UEA as I do once a term as a, as a guest, as a visiting fellow. It's great because I meet my students and, um, and get to know them and get to kind of see where they're coming from and understand their work better. Um, and I'm actually a Royal Literary Fund fellow this year as well at Brighton University, helping students of all disciplines with their essay writing. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. scheme where a professional writer is set, is is placed in a university for two days a week and you see students in one hour slots face to face one to one one hour slots which are gold dust in the university world um, and they come with an essay that they're having trouble with and you work on it with them and I'm really looking forward to that because that's that's kind of um, yeah and that's across all that's disciplines, all and disciplines. And so and, so mm-hmm. so the idea is that even though you don't understand the, the, the subject you were you are able to help with the right, the form, the writing in which the argument is conveyed. Yeah, it's funny because um, I've done training in the past where it was um, so the John Innes Centre here, which is a scientific research yeah. place, and they brought in some people to help the scientists because they were doing this amazing work and then weren't able to communicate that to people that weren't also scientists. Yeah. And that ability for storytelling to come in and kind of provide a map around yeah. the complicated facts is, yeah. is a really yeah. valuable skill. It's really, really important, isn't it? There's no point in having all the great ideas unless mm. you can actually communicate them to the yeah, world. and spread them around a bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. And thanks to Julia Crouch for the chat. If you've got any questions or you want to get in touch with us, you can find National Centre for Writing on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. We're on Facebook if you search for National Centre for Writing. And you can sign up to our monthly newsletter over at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast as it does help other people to find it. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah, which is actually part two of our chat with Julia. So yeah, Julia will be back next week where we're going to dive into her top tips on writing crime fiction. So do not miss that one. Mm -hmm.